0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: Do we really know what happened? The brother did it, it. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. We're both into like true crimes. Uh,
0: deathy, murdery thing.
1: Yeah, maybe that should be the title. Uh, <laughs> deathy, murdery thing. Could be that. Could be something... Not that, because that sucks. That's going to be our theme song. Just It'll be do just do a silent recording of land out of tune every time. Let's go. This is mystery murder.
0: Okay, are you ready?
1: Yeah. So ready. Oh,
0: God, that was loud.
1: So loud.
0: Stop it. <laughs> I can't.
1: <laughs> I can't with you. Welcome to Wednesday.
0: It's Wednesday, my dudes. It's
1: Wednesday, my dude. I have yet to show you that vine. You did show it to me. You oh. showed it to me many times. Oh. <laughs> and I love it. Good. <laughs>
0: um. Skinny,
1: shirtless, white kid practicing.
0: No, that's oh, Welcome to Chili's. That's welcome to
1: Chili's. I don't think you have showed me that one then. I'll
0: show you sometime. Okay. Remind me after this.
1: Okay, okay. Vine culture. Vine culture. <laughs> uh,
0: we can take a fucking class on it. I shit you not. Oh, really? Oh. Oh,
1: we're going to cuss less. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. we were going to try to do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're doing well so far.
0: No, I, um, this is recording. You right? can't. Yeah. Okay. You can't actually take a class on it, but like, it's very possible to conduct a class on it.
1: Sure. Definitely.
0: I would do my project on. You do a project on like a famous Viner. I would do it on probably Marcus Johns. Is that his name?
1: I don't know who that is. Or. Not a real Rudy celebrity. Mancuso. Oh, he sounds cool.
0: He is cool.
1: <laughs> Rudy van Kuto. He's my type.
0: He's a short Mexican dude. Nice. So. Nice.
1: Anywho, watch out, Mario. Watch out. <laughs> welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy.
0: Oh yeah, welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. The podcast
1: where we talk about mind culture. <laughs> <laughs> And mysteries. And
0: mysteries, and murderies, and thingies. And
1: especially thingies. My Um, name's
0: Chloe. My name's Mario. And Mario, are you doing a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy today?
1: This is going to be a thingy episode.
0: Yeah, I'm also doing a thingy. We're both
1: doing thingies. We figured we'd take a little bit of a break from the sad murders and so forth. So today we're just kind of exploring a couple of interesting thingy mysteries yeah. and you're gonna go first
0: sure so okay i'm doing i'm talking about stonehenge
1: yeah stonehenge yeah,
0: Stonehenge. okay so i actually learned a lot doing this research because i uh-huh. didn't know a lot about it in the first place
1: that's good learning things through research it's always a good thing
0: yeah yeah it's a pretty weird place hmm it's pretty weird uh-huh like so, who built it? Right. How was it built? Why was it built? Right.
1: Those are kind of like the mysteries around it. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot
0: of questions. Um, was it done for ancient worshipping? Was there sacrifices, gatherings, aliens? Ooh.
1: Alien, it, gatherings, alien, alien gatherings. Alien sacrificial gatherings. Yeah. Sacrificing aliens at gatherings. Worshipping
0: aliens?
1: I would. There's people out there. Right. If any aliens are listening, I just want them to know... I am ready for our new alien overlords. Okay. Ready to go. <laughs> I
0: think the most likely scenario for alien overlords are the lizard people. hmm Like um the not, president not technically
1: aliens, but sure.
0: The president is right. a lizard.
1: Right, right. Uh, Subterranean lizard beings.
0: The Queen of England is a
1: lizard. I have heard that. Also, Stonehenge
0: that. belongs to the Queen. Did you know that? Fun fact. What?
1: Like personally? Kinda. Of. <laughs> because that's what it made it sound like. Kind of. Okay, cool. Cause it's like a cultural heritage site and she like technically owns those or something. That's I guess. pretty cool.
0: Okay, so let's get into this. So okay. it is in um, Salisbury Plain, which is in southern England. And the biggest stones are thirteen feet tall and seven feet wide. So excuse me, they're freaking huge. They are made out of two different. There's two different. Let me like describe it because I think that's important. Mm-hmm. So Stonehenge basically looks like a half a circle of these huge things called trilithons, and those are the arches, the like doorway looking arches with the two stones and the horizontal thing on top. The horizontal thing is called a a. A lentil? Not a lentil. That's a bean. (laughs) A lenten. I have it somewhere, written down somewhere, but okay. And then there's an inner circle of smaller ones called bluestones. So sarsen are the big, big ones. The large vertical stones are made of sarsen, which is a type of sandstone that is common in the region. And the smaller stones are bluestones, which they don't look blue, but they have a bluish tint when they're wet oh okay so the three like I said the three piece arches are known as trilithons and yes and the average weight of them is 25 tons wow. which begs the question how did they get there who put them there
1: right which will here? also be an interesting question in mind like yeah. how were these moved yeah
0: the largest stone is called the heel stone, and it weighs 30 tons. So out of the little, not little, it's huge. Out <laughs> of the um, formation, there's 83 stones in total. So I'm just going to go over some facts before I go over some theories. So Stonehenge was definitely like a burial place, a resting place, a cemetery at one point. Hmm. Um, they say it served as a resting place before the large stones appeared. and archaeologists have found cremated remains mm. there, um, and also other remains. There are fifty six pits or aubrey holes in the area. Um, and they are now they are now known to have housed the remains of at least sixty four Neolithic people. Mm-hmm. And in nineteen twenty three, Archaeologists discovered a decapitated Anglo-Saxon man from the 7th century CE. He was actually beheaded. Wow. And um, so it was thought to be an executed criminal, but um, they also think because he was buried, he could have been of higher standing or royalty. That's another kind of theory is that... The only, It was used by by priests and high nobility, and the only people who could access this place um, was those kinds of people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, another fact, in the 70s, tourists used to be allowed to climb on them.
1: <coughs> Excuse
0: me. And visitors used to be given chisels to take on pieces as souvenirs. What? Chisels were banned in the early 1900s, and climbing became prohibited in 1977
1: wow yeah well you said that was in the 1970s or 1870s 1970s oh people
0: were allowed to like climb on it
1: that's and, insane
0: <laughs> but the chisels were banned in the early 1900s so that was earlier oh that were, was like earlier. chiseling
1: stuff i would think that so That was earlier. my god <laughs>
0: yeah my god is right
1: yeah they're gods yeah <laughs>
0: So, um, it's been under repair before
1: mm-hmm. an
0: entire trilithon fell down in 1797. And then in 1900, one of the upright sarsens of the outer circle, not all of them are actually full arches, mm. um, of the outer circle fell down a lintel,
1: lintel, lintel
0: along with its lintel,
1: lintel. Okay.
0: This prompted a new survey of stones and the straightening of Stone 56 in 1901, which was deemed to lean a dangerous angle. Ooh. So there were many restorations after this, and the tri- trilithon that... Th- I keep wanting to say triathlon, but that's not right. The trilithon, I keep wanting
1: you to say triceratops. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> trilithon.
0: The trilithon was re-erected in 1958. Mm-hmm. So... Like I said, it was um, from the Neolithic period, and it was built from about 3,000 to 2,000 B.C., and um, according to indents in the ground, it used to be a full circle, um, and they know this because there was a drought in 2014 that revealed patches in the dirt where previous right. stones had once been. Yeah, I
1: remember hearing about that at the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, in 1915, lawyer and city councilman Cecil Chubb bid on the Stonehenge land newly up for auction following the death of the last surviving representative from, uh, the Antrobus family. So they owned it before 1915 and then it went up for auction, um, and this guy Cecil Chubb bid on it. So it cost 6,600 euros, which is a little over $8,000. In American money, which in today's money is around $197,000, which is, like, really cheap.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that's, like, nothing. I
0: know. So, Chubb decided to donate the historic land to the state on the condition that it was preserved and remained open to the public for visitation. Um, And they knighted him as a thank you. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, So the bluestones, back to the bluestones, they can be geologically tracked to the Presley Mountains in Wales, which is over 150 miles away. So this is another weird thing about Stonehenge, is that they have geologically proven that s- these smaller bluestones weren't there, like they don't mm-hmm. belong there.
1: Right.
0: So it's not totally agreed upon that they were moved there, but most scholars think that they w- that they were. So there's theories like there's team of oxen that moved them rafts, big boat. It's possible there's evidence that ice glaciers transported them there, something oh. like that. Um, so I'm gonna get into the theories of my theories. Kind of answer all all of the questions, not all of the questions. You have all
1: the answers. Sure. You definitively know.
0: So some people believe that the druids. Right. Created them, but that is not true because Stonehenge was there way before the Druids were ever there. Right, But they did have ceremonies there. So a group of Celtic or Celtic? I never remember.
1: I think in this context, they're Celtic.
0: Celtic. Okay. The Celtic peoples. Celtic priests, teachers, and all around wise men. So those were the Druids. Um, they ruled Northern Europe more than 2,000 years ago, and they believed in the immortality of the soul. That was like mm-hmm. their whole thing. And so they sometimes made human sacrifices to aid Cel- Celtic warriors in battle. And um, Celtic. It is Celtic? Yeah. Okay, Celtic the, the, Warriors. It, the,
1: bas- the Boston basketball team is the Celtics. And then the people is the Celtics. Okay. That's what it is.
0: Celtics, Celtics. So um, sometimes made human sacrifice stayed Celtic warriors in battle. Um, and sometimes they um, went there as a ritual to cure the gravely ill. So they held ceremonies during the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. And this is another thing with Stonehenge in that... Um, a lot of people think it has to do with astronomy and how the moon the moon and the stars and the sun line up with it. Um so that celebration was held on June 21st, and so- Stonehenge's s- central axis aligns with the sunrise on right. that day. Right. Um people still go there to celebrate today, but It's basically a huge public party with drunk college kids. Sure. Yeah. Uh, So.
1: And let's be honest, that's probably kind of what it was like back then, too.
0: Oh, yeah. That's what a lot of people think.
1: People don't change. Yeah. Like, you know, a thousand, two thousand years ago, 17, 18 year old kids were getting drunk and like fucking and hanging out and doing drugs, whatever they had. That's. How people always have been, it's how they always will be, because that's humans. We like feeling good and, like, dancing. (laughs) Okay.
0: Stonehenge is also a a soundscape. It has great, great acoustics. Mm. Um, It's possible that the circular construction was created created to mimic a sound illusion. So a man named Stephen Waller, who is a, get this, a researcher in archaeoacoustics.
1: Interesting.
0: He says that if two pipers were to play their instruments in the field, a listener would notice a strange effect. In certain spots, the sound waves from the the two pipes would cancel each other out, creating quiet spots.
1: Ah, Oh, I've heard of that, yeah.
0: And the stones themselves... Um, bounce sound and they also block sound. Right. and
1: Creating like an interference pattern.
0: Mm-hmm. And legends associated with Stonehenge also reference pipers. Uh, and Waller said that prehistoric circles are traditionally known as piper stones. Hmm. A study released in May 2012 found that the circle would have caused sound reverber- reverberations. Reverberations.
1: I like the way you said it.
0: <laughs> reverberations? Reverberations.
1: Reverberations.
0: Reverberations.
1: Reverberations.
0: So a study released in May 2012 found that the circle would have caused sound reverberations similar to those in a modern-day cathedral or concert
1: hall. Ah, interesting.
0: Another theory is that eight of... This answers the question of how they got there. Ancient folklore says that Merlin, the wizard from the story of King Arthur, magically transported them from Ireland, and then had giants erect the stone. Of course, um, in the oldest known depiction of Stonehenge, in a copy of a manuscript, in a manuscript called uh, "Brut" from or "Brut," I think it's Brute though. From the eleven hundreds dates mm-hmm. back to. There's a picture of there's a picture of a giant helping Merlin lift what looks like a picture of Stonehenge.
1: Conclusive proof.
0: It's really weird.
1: But weren't they created before that?
0: Yeah, but this is this is like. Uh, oh, it's oldest... like a,
1: a telling of how it came to be. Yeah, okay. this
0: is the oldest known depiction sure. of
1: Stonehenge. Sure, sure, sure. So. Giants, aliens, all kinds of stuff. Something.
0: Like uh, the dead, so some people think it offered communication to the dead, and mm. like I said before, remains have been found there, and it's likely that Stonehenge was indeed a, a like a popular burial site. Sure. So, Mercea Eli- Eliad, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, a historian of religion, said that it could have been a sanctu- quote a sanctuary built to ensure relations with the ancestors, the privileged place that affords communication with heaven and the underworld that is, with the gods, the Chthonian goddesses, and the spirits of the dead. So Chthonian meaning like Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to look that word up. Cool. Um. So this is what I really think mm-hmm. that a lot of it was. I think a lot of it was built for worshiping ancestors and... Um, maybe doing sacrifices and communicating with gods and goddesses, and that's what it was for. It was like a uh, a monument, what's the word? Like a temple,
1: a temple. Sure. Uh,
0: it
1: was like a, a point where the line between this world and another world exactly. is is like thin.
0: And the tri- trial some people say... In the
1: same way that in Ghostbusters, the l- ladies refrigerator was a place where the line was, just to give a modern context to what we're talking about so you understand.
0: Are you the gatekeeper?
1: Are you the key master? (laughs) (laughs) I am a servant of Gozer. (laughs) See, that's a role I could play, Rick Moranis.
0: Anything Rick Moranis.
1: Anything Rick Moranis. I'll do the remake.
0: So as I was saying,
1: as I was so rudely interrupting, Mario you, Silva, <laughs> yes,
0: that the triathons. Some say that they are a doorway. Mm. And they kind of look like a little yeah. archway doorway, sure. right, to another
1: world. It's all kind of supposition and context and whatever, sure. but it makes sense. Yes.
0: Um... It could also be an ancient observatory, right so in nineteen sixty three astronomer Gerald Hawkins proposed the theory that Stonehenge was a computer for- for predicting eclipses of the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. Some say that Stonehenge also had healing properties, and a lot of people made a bit of a pilgrimage over there, so the remains found have actually shown evidence of trauma and deformity um like I said, it was a site of pilgrimage for healing and religious purposes. And some believe that the blue stones, the smaller stones, were magic. Um, and these were the ones that were said to be from uh, Wales. So they must be magic if they're you know transported 150 miles. Right. Um, and the final theory is that aliens. So... Either it was built by aliens <laughs> themselves. Because if there's
1: nothing left, it's, it's got to be aliens. aliens.
0: Built by <laughs> aliens themselves. Sure. Aliens gave humans the technology to build it, or it was a landing pad or a communication area for aliens to talk to the, each other or for humans to talk to aliens. Right, right, right. Um, so I also learned that Stonehenge is actually one of m- many... Mm -hmm. monuments different hinges Um, and the most interesting one was woodhenge Mm -hmm. and basically it's a circular formation of timber yeah and it's located about a half a mile from stonehenge and they say it was done in 2300 bc so around the same time that stonehenge was being built Mm -hmm. discovered at the center of the site was the burial of a three-year-old child whose skull had been split open with an axe. Apparently a sacrificial victim. So people also think that Woodhenge was built and then Stonehenge was, like, the final, mm. like, creation. So maybe
1: this was kind of a test or yeah a preparation.
0: Um, so when an aerial image was taken, they could see dark spots. And then when the site was excavated, these dark spots proved to be empty sockets that had formerly held large, upright timbers. Oh. So, a structure similar to Woodhenge may have stood at the center of Stonehenge before the Great Stone Circle and trilithons were erected.
1: Interesting. So, there might have actually been a more ancient site there. Yes. That they then built Stonehenge as kind of an improvement upon. Yes. Interesting, interesting.
0: Um... But, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Cool. Uh, My sources were the wonderful, wonderful Wikipedia. I watched a little bit of a Naked Science YouTube documentary. I looked at an article on mental floss by Michael Arbiter. Looked at some BBC history I read two different National Geographic articles by the same dude named James Owen. And also, um, a lot of the info I got was from Mm EnglishHeritage.org. And they were also a bit of like a tourist site. Of course. That had a lot of, here's what you can do here, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, so, I know I say that's what I'm actually going to do at this time. What? Post pictures.
1: Oh, okay, good.
0: (laughs) I'm going to post a picture of Stonehenge, and then I'm going to post a picture of Woodhenge, and then I want to also post the picture of Merlin because it's a cool picture. Yeah. And then we'll put on some Easter Island pictures. uh, On on
1: the Instagram page.
0: On the Instagram page. Follow us, Mystery Murdery Thingy.
1: Yes, yes. On
0: Instagram. On the gram. Your turn. You ready?
1: I am ready.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready.
1: Okay. Oh, just a quick correction from last time: the Mexican presidential candidate that I was trying to remember the name of, his name's actually Andrés Manuel López Obrador.
0: What did you do last time? I forgot. Oh, you did those kids.
1: Right, the missing forty-three from oh, Ayotzinapa. God, that
0: was.
1: That's that why was I'm doing something, something not super sad that was a this total time. Total
0: bummer. It
1: was a bummer.
0: Okay. I'm excited! Okay. I'm
1: excited! Yes, yes, yes. So this time I'm doing the mystery of Rapa Nui, also known as Easter Island or Isla de Pascua. Cool. Um, because technically, it is a part of Chile. Now, it was it was taken over by by Chile in the 20th century.
0: Do you have facts on the origin of the name Easter Island?
1: Um, well? I don't, but I'm assuming that it's a name that was given to it probably by. Uh, by Captain Cook When he visited in the 18th century That's what I would assume there, it, I, mean, it, I it like ours must have been. so
0: different Easter Island What's Pasqua?
1: I don't know I was hoping you would know. <laughs> You're a resident Spanish expert. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, keep going.
1: Yep. So Rapa Nui is a Chilean island in the southeastern Pacific Ocean. It's about 10 miles by 20 miles. So it's not a... It's pretty small. It's a pretty small island. Yeah. And it's it's on the southeasternmost vertex of what's known as the Polynesian Triangle. So, yeah. So it's it is one of the... Actually, probably the most isolated island in the world. The nearest inhabited island is the Pitcairn Islands that are 1,289 miles away. And the nearest um, continental shelf is Chile. is like the South American coast. But that's like over 2,000 miles away. So basically... The distance from one side of the United States to the other, almost, is how far away this island is from Chile. And that's the closest continent that it's to. So, this is a really, really far-flung island. Far-flung island. That's
0: scary. Yes.
1: But, um, you know, people's drive to explore an indomitable spirit, which I always find super fascinating with these um Island hopping stories, people were able to settle Rapa Nui in approximately 700 to maybe as late as 1200 uh, CE in the common era. Okay.
0: Um,
1: And a prosperous settlement arose there. You know, the population kind of exploded and there was like this really built up culture that they had and they left many, many extant arcs are extant artifacts uh, in stonework. So the most famous of these, of course, is the Moai statues. And these are, like, the, the big faces. Yeah. Um, but they are actually full-body statues, although a lot of them are now buried, so you only see the heads. What? So that's kind of where, where that's come from.
0: Then... Okay, keep going.
1: Yep. So the society that they had, while it did flourish for a long, long time, was eventually greatly diminished. And there's different ideas of why this happened. And we'll we'll kind of get into a couple, we'll get into the main theory and then a counter theory. So this was in the kind of traditional theory because of an overuse of resources, uh, the deforestation of the native palm tree, which Completely covered the island in mm. previous times when it was first settled, and now is almost completely gone. Mm. Uh, overpopulation and the introduction of the invasive species, the Polynesian rat, <sighs> which people brought with them all throughout the the expansion through Polynesia and Melanesia, etc. And those factors combined led to the extinction of. Many, many of the native species. So there was kind of a mini extinction event that occurred basically concurrent with humans arriving at Rapa Nui. But exactly why that happened or what the consequences of it were is still a little bit in um, contention historically. So to get to the Moai statues a little bit, and then we'll get into them in more detail later, they were um, built between about 1250 and 1500, so actually a lot later than I thought, Um, and I think later than people used to think, but with some updated archaeology, we've been able to show, or people have been able to show, excuse me, That They were actually built um, fairly late, so 1,250 to 1,500. And there are about a 1,000 of them on the island in total. So there are a lot of these things. Oh, I
0: had no idea.
1: Yep, yep. And uh, like I said, we'll get into some more specifics about those here in a minute. Um, But just to get back to kind of the story of the settlement of the island and then the later visitation by Europeans... That happened, uh, the visitation by Europeans happened in 1722. That was the first uh, arrival. And I think that was uh, Captain Cook, uh, the famous um, English captain who went there. I believe he was the first. And at that point, the population started to really collapse. Uh, It was down to about, well... Well, again, this is we'll get kind of get into why this might not be true, but the original European visitors thought that it was down to about two to three thousand from a high of about fifteen thousand a hundred years earlier. So the first European visitors, um, their supposition or their kind of. Um, what they thought had happened to these people was that they previously had this huge built up culture, which was, you know, kind of displayed through these huge stone statues and that there had been some kind of big conflict and that these people had basically overused their resources, fallen into conflict and kind of killed themselves and starved themselves down to this two to 3000 figure. But, that, that may not actually be accurate. That may be a sort of historical fallacy uh, or misunderstanding or misapprehension that's kind of been propagated down through the years. And, and that's kind of what most people, for most of the history of what we've been you know known about this, what people have thought happened. But um, there's a professor who's done some more recent uh, scholarship in archaeology who's kind of countering that. And we'll get into his counter argument in a bit, but what we do know for sure is that once Europeans arrived, they brought with them, as they so often do, horrible nice. disease. And
0: man, white people. I
1: know. Um, and al- although one must note also that native diseases did also infect European. Uh, conquerors and visitors. So it did run both ways, but obviously the impact of it was much, much greater on the native populations. Mm -hmm. And just as in North America and many, many other places, um, this, you know, completely decimated the population, more more than decimated. There was also a large amount of slave trading uh, and raiding that occurred off of the island um, so that 1877. The population, the native population of Rapa Nui, was down to 111 individuals, and that was its low point. So, you know, the destructive forces, oh basically, gosh. of the world bearing themselves down upon this native population, winnowed them down to 111 by 1877. Obviously, that that is a great tragedy. So it's not. Entirely without uh, tragedy. The good news, however, is that since then the population has rebounded to about seven thousand seven hundred fifty by twenty seventeen. So the the and uh, about sixty percent of those are related to the native Rapanui. Mm. So the the native peoples have not died out in Rapanui. They they were able to, again, with that indomitable human spirit of survival and and perseverance. Yeah. Uh, were able to overcome, you know, the the destruction that was brought upon them.
0: So they got slaves all the way out there?
1: Yes. There there were slave raids that were actually occurring at Rapa Nui uh, throughout the late, you know, middle to late 19th century. And they they took ships all the way out there and then brought them, excuse me, to, you know, wherever, presumably to the New World, so to speak. Wow. So the two kind of central mysteries um, that surround Rapa Nui and and kind of my research into it uh, are how and why did all of those statues get built, right? Uh, The Moai, and how did they get moved? Mm -hmm. Because just like Stonehenge, these are enormous, uh, actually even bigger, but we'll get into some specifics, yeah. And then why did the population suddenly collapse, And we'll get into that second question first. So like I said, there is this kind of traditional theory of the overuse of the resources by the native population, that the statues were a sign of these kind of competing oligarchical strongmen that eventually, uh, you know, uh, led to large-scale conflict between the peoples on the island, and that there was this new... Stone weapon that they used that kind of exploded the ability for the native people to um to to kill each other, and that has is what uh, one scholar deemed the ecocide theory, which is um, ecological suicide. So ba- basically, the theory there, like I was saying, is that the overuse of the resources, the growing population, all of that led oh. to. The destruction of the native population. I didn't know
0: there was a word for
1: that, ecocide. Yeah, it was basically a word that this um, that this scholar m- made up, or you know, came up with as as a sense. kind of important one too to describe the situation. So that is a generally accepted theory of what occurred. However. Um, And this is where the main bulk of my research uh, came from was this professor um, named Hunt, Professor Terry Hunt, out of the University of Oregon. And I watched a lecture that he gave called Rethinking Easter Island's Mysterious Past. Really good lecture, um, which he was giving at Keble College out of Oxford University wow. back in 2016. So pretty recently. Yeah. And he and his team went to the island. They did an archaeological study, and they found a number of things. Uh, like I said, it was super, super interesting. I would, I would uh, encourage people to go and and watch it as well, because he's got some really cool uh, videos and pictures and just really neat. So what Professor Hunt posits is that the great portion of the deforestation was actually, we can lay at the feet of the Polynesian rat that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So his idea was that it wasn't so much... That the native Rapa Nui people were cutting down all the trees, but that, yes, they were doing that, of course, but that the trees were then not able to regrow because the Polynesian rat uh... was eating all of the seeds. And they actually found archaeological evidence of, you know, seeds, um, you know. Very very old seeds with with marks. I mean, they're pretty big, um, with like teeth marks from the rats. So I mean, they found physical, real evidence that this was actually occurring. Are
0: the rats still there?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. This is an invasive species that's now all over the islands of Polynesia, Mm. basically anywhere the humans went. So that kind of uh, takes care of the the deforestation angle, Um, and what he says as well, is that based on the evidence from those early European visitors, they actually found a very well-balanced, thriving society. So, what we have to understand is that, of course, those Europeans who came described everything and saw everything through their very biased lens, right? They were prone to thinking of these people as backwards, as mm. downtrodden, as as somehow lesser naturally, right? Because that's racism, and that's you know how people think of those people, uh, even down into today. But it's it's a misconception, right? I think we have obviously, to be we have yeah. sure, obviously, but it also becomes endemic to our culture where we 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 kind of subsume those racist assumptions without even maybe acknowledging it or thinking about it so you think stone age culture oh those people must be suffering they must be um somehow lesser they don't realize they don't understand that's just not the case these people had everything they needed they knew how to use it they were extremely well functioning and built up culture you know in and of themselves they didn't need anything else they
0: still are questioning people today baffling people today like
1: exactly exactly they did things in their time with stone and manpower and rope as we'll kind of find out later probably um that again yeah exactly we haven't been able to mimic down to today so we should have a bit of humility vis-a-vis the rapindui natives so Basically, Professor Hunt showed that the ecocide is actually a historical fallacy that's been propagated down through the years uh, based on those early Europeans, you know, assumptions. And and as we know, assumptions are not always correct. Mm-hmm. So the spread of the European diseases, of course, led to a complete collapse of the population after the contact. So it's not that the population... Um, was greatly decreased before European contact, but rather it happened after European contact. And that, oh. that initial, like, big decrease from 15,000 down to two to 3,000, that may never have actually occurred in any case. Like, the Europeans who were saying that, they didn't really know that how was just could you kind of
0: actually, did they have records and stuff? How could you really know
1: exactly and and I think that's when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, how could they know who was there a hundred years before? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and of course, as we said, the slave rating contributed to the near loss, although not complete loss, thankfully, of the native Rapa Nui population, so that is kind of the best guess as to the population. You know, the sudden population collapse. So,
0: the rats and the slaves.
1: The rats, the slave trading, the The European diseases, and that initial collapse may never have actually happened. So, now let's move on to the moai. And these are the huge stone statues. Yes, yes, yes. Um, They were an average of 13 feet high, but the large that was moved was actually 30 feet high. Yeah, so just think about that. That's more than a two-story building. Solid stone that these people were able to move, some of them as far as 20 miles. Oh, my God. So basically the length of the island. Uh, And what Professor Hunt said initially in his talk, he kept kind of teasing this, was that he wasn't going to address the question of how they were moved. He claims that it's basically unknowable. But he he kind of ends up addressing it actually in a in a pretty robust way. He, there, but there, let's get into some of the kind of theories that probably aren't true first. So there's the sled theory, basically that these were put on their backs on sleds on wooden sleds, and then they were moved you know with human power.
0: Strong sled.
1: Strong sled. Strong people. This is also how people think perhaps. The Stonehenge stones were moved, uh-huh. how they think perhaps the stones that were used to make pyramids were moved in different places around the world. So, you know, it's it's a theory that maybe could have been used in another context. But if you look at the topography of Rapa Nui, it's hilly, it's rocky, it really would oh. not. It really, really just would not work. They Just from a basic kind of... It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So the sled theory, probably no. Um, there's also a theory that they used leverage to kind of roll them, kind of like moving them over onto mm-hmm. themselves. That seems pretty unlikely.
0: Don't you think there'd be evidence of
1: that? Yes, there there definitely would be, which we don't see. Um, people also think perhaps there could have been rollers on a sled. So kind of
0: like logs, like, I read that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: that that was a possible way they say about Stonehenge too mm-hmm. that they used um, logs to transport them. Exactly. And it was kind of. This was also before the wheel, even. Mm-hmm. Um, in, well, in Stonehenge case, right, right, right. Um, that they just kind of rolled them like that.
1: Right, exactly. But you know, again, that works a lot better in the rolling hills of southern England as opposed to the
0: rocky, rocky, yeah. you know, kind of
1: really, really hilly. Uh, Rapa Nui there is also the the idea that they could have been moved in a vertical position so everyone was kind of assuming they must have been moved like on their backs right Mm -hmm. but there's also this idea that they could have been moved in a vertical position and this is bolstered by what they say the islanders said when they asked them how were these moved right the islanders said they walked what? Yeah, um, and by that, cool. you know, I probably the Islanders didn't actually mean that the stones, you know, moved of their own volition. You know, they weren't they weren't uh, mobile in and of themselves. They weren't. Probably that's not what they meant. Um, what they probably meant was that they walked like. You walk a uh, you know uh, a big dresser back and forth right to move it. Oh, you move the left downside. You move, side, like you scoot move the it. You yeah. Scoot you it. kind of scoot it back and forth.
0: I guess that makes sense.
1: So initially, this seemed to be completely but the, like,
0: awkwardly shaped too. We'll get
1: into the shape and and how that plays into this. Yeah. So initially, this theory was kind of discredited because a Czech engineer named Pavel Pavel tried this. And this was, I think, back in, like, the 70s or 80s. And it did not work well. <laughs> and, in fact, he ended up doing serious damage to a real statue <gasps> immediately when they tried to do this. So, at that point, people were like, okay, that's not it. There's no way. Wait, somebody
0: actually tried to, well...
1: However... I feel like
0: that's not a good idea.
1: <laughs> however... This theory was kind of, uh, uh, what do you want to say? Um, Debunked? Redeemed. The opposite of debunked, actually. It it was sort of brought back to life by Professor Hunt's team. And what they did was they didn't use a real statue, first thing. Good idea. Right. Right. And they really didn't, he really didn't want to do this in the first place. But National Geographic was like, hey, we need good TV. We want, we'll give you lots of money for your research. Do this. And they just kept pressing him, kept pressing him, and they actually started making the mold of it before he agreed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, I guess, they figured, okay, we'll 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 get him, we'll get him eventually. Rude. And as part of uh, Professor Hunt's research, they did really, really detailed 3D um, photography cool. of of some of the moai, uh, down to the millimeter scale. So, really, really detailed. And National National Geographic, rather, uh, facilitated the making of a a replica that would have the same specific gravity, would have the same, you know, characteristics in all respects as a real Rapa Nui statue, including, and this is kind of an interesting thing, before they were moved or while they were in transit, the, the Moai, the base of them was more built up on the front. So there was kind of like, um, it, it, it was kind of larger in the back and then, sorry, let me just think about this for a second. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of larger in the back and then less in the front on the base. So the stat, so the Moai were kind of like, like leaning forward a little bit. Right. And as professor Hunt states, it was like 12 to 15 degrees. So it's kind of as if, you know, if you're looking at a person and they're just kind of like, leaning forward, you know, as if they were going skiing downhill. Oh, okay. Right. And that's kind of what the Moai looked like in their initial state. And then when they would get them up to the platforms where they were kind of their last resting place, or, you know, that's what they would have initially thought, although much, much later they were all um, pushed over, in the, in the uh, 19th century. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, when they were being moved, they had this extra bit. So what um, that basically facilitates is the ability, and they actually have a, a video of them doing this. You can wrap uh, ropes around the top of the Moai, and then with maybe about 15 people on each side, you rock it back and forth. And you, you just basically that the head then moves, and then the base starts moving also with moves, it. Yeah, and just because of gravity, and it uh, as Professor Hunt described it, it's like a natural fall forward, just like a human walks, because that's the way in which we walk. It's a controlled fall forward, and then catching yourself. F- controlled fall forward, and then catching yourself, and that's technically from a physics standpoint how a human walks, and that's also how the Moai walk. And they, they actually walked. they walked, and they actually did this, and they moved it about forty meters,
0: so you think they figured it out?
1: They seem to have figured it out, and to give some further credence to that, professor and this they were doing all of this in Hawaii, and Professor Hunt showed a video of them doing this to a native uh, Rapa Nui woman who was living in Hawaii and she started singing what she said was the moai walking song yeah and professor hunt was like oh i've mm-hmm. never heard of the moai walking i didn't know there was a moai walking song no That's one told so me
0: funny. about
1: the moai walking song <laughs> and she she started singing it and she's she basically said this is how it happened this is how they were moved this was how the Moai walked. And he also showed it to a Rappi, uh, a native Rapa Nui activist, like a land activist. And he got really emotional. And mm. he actually started crying. And he said, I can see my ancestors.
0: Oh. Um, yeah. That's so important.
1: Yeah. And I know. And and again, it's it, it all comes back to those native Rapa Nui people and their ingenuity and strength. And perseverance and, you know, I just have, have all the respect in the world for anyone who would sail out into the ocean without Jesus. knowing where the hell you're going. Oh my God. And then the, the descendants of those people, right? There's something special about those people. And in his lecture, Professor Hunt actually showed a, a video of two native Rapa Nui women singing the song mm-hmm. and um, overlaid with the video of them moving, walking the Moai, and it lines up pretty freaking well and that's
0: so cool as they're singing, that's probably what they sang exactly
1: as they were doing it literally as they were doing it and as the women were singing the song they were also moving back and forth like this as if they were the moai they were kind of like so it it all i mean i know it's all kind of circumstantial but it really seems like that is what it was. That, that's basically how it happened. So there were also these ancient roads that Professor Hunt found along which they were probably taken, which also kind of explains, you know, in this really rocky, hilly landscape, how were they able to do this? They had kind of these set paths that they would use. And they actually found about 40 of these along—or sorry, 60 of them, rather, along those ancient roads— some of them were also had also fallen down and um were were kind of broken in different ways, and they looked at that as some evidence, you know, for how they were moved and kind of what was uh, plausible. But you know, they're all around the island, like I said before, there are about four hundred that are still in the quarry where they were originally um carved out of. and um, so they
0: were carved
1: they were carved out of stone using stone tools. And when they were doing that, they would leave just, like, a little bit attached at at the head. And then that would be the last part. They would cleave it off. Mm-hmm. And then the moai would kind of slide down. And and that was actually how, how they, they initiated the process of moving them. Do you
0: think they could recreate them today?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the techniques for using them have been lost. But I'm... I mean, there are people who, you know, figure that stuff out and and recreate ancient, you know, stone working techniques um, in modern times. So I'm sure they can. And, you know, part of Professor Hunt's uh, and other people who do research into the Rapa Nui, you know, part of what they do is to once they find these things out, they then give them back to the people who live there and the cultural ministry there Mm, and the native mm -hmm. people there and say, you know, Hey, you know, this is a part of your culture, kind of a a reappropriation. um, And I think kind of a reparation for, you know, again, what the wider world did to Rapa Nui uh, in, you know, especially in that mid to late uh, 18th century, 19th century time. And like we said, uh, some of them have sunk into the ground or gotten so covered over that only the heads are visible, mm-hmm. but they they were all done um, full body. And a number of them are still uh, obviously above ground with the full body out as well. And from there was a guy, I was like in the 50s to the 80s, I think. I don't recall his name. But he basically made it his kind of life's work to restore some of the Moai. So they're the ones that you see kind of um, that are all standing in a row, yeah. or kind of there. I think there are two or three main yeah. um, groups okay. of them. Really cool. Th- there's like ones that are looking out onto the ocean that supposedly are there to guide. Um, sailors back to the island and then there are some that are looking into the interior of the island that are like protectors they think so you know there, there's obviously a great amount of cultural significance maybe religious significance to the Moai people think that and I'm, I'm not sure this may be the the belief of the native people at this point too I'm not sure that they were actually the repository of of souls so that the Moai actually were you know, kind of the inhabitants of a a soul themselves. They were kind of like a, a person.
0: That makes sense why there's so many.
1: And also what lends some credence to that is what they do with the eyes. So in their original state, they would have actually had like decorations within the eye and they didn't, the eye socket didn't actually get finished until they were brought to their final resting place. Okay, okay. So while they were being built, while they were getting moved, they were in some sense, like, unfinished. And then when they got there, they kind of finished out the eyes. And as we know, in many, many cultures, right, the eyes are seen as the so-called windows to the soul. Windows to the
0: soul. Right,
1: that's like a pretty general human thing, I think. And that seems to also be part of what was going on with the moai in Rapa Nui.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to post some of these pictures because they're really,
1: really quite cool. Really cool. And, you know, obviously there, there's a ton of more stuff out there about Rapa Nui itself, about the people, um, and about the Moai. But, you know, that that I thought that was kind of in some interesting stuff because it was newer stuff and, and kind of counter to the main line of argument that people have been using about Rapa Nui for all these years. So, yeah, I thought that was, was pretty interesting.
0: Yay! Yeah, and
1: also that the mysteries around this actually kind of have been greatly demystified in in latter years, which I also didn't realize going into this. Yeah. I thought it was actually more mysterious, but I still still think it's pretty interesting.
0: Wow, good job.
1: Good job by you.
0: I don't have any weird shit in the news.
1: Okay, we're a little pressed for time, so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um... I think I just wanted to do a but little bit... But I think bit, next oh,
0: time, we yeah. should talk about the bombings, the the Austin bombings.
1: We can address it, yeah. Um, this is very personal for me.
0: Yeah, this is a thing...
1: Like, I have family members who live in Austin, in that area. Yeah. Thankfully, well, I guess we'll get into it next time, but they, they may have um, caught up with the person who did it.
0: Yes. He, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I just wanted to give a brief, and I I don't have the story up right now, but an update on one of the weird shit in the news that we did the other day, or I think it was actually the first one, about the the children in California who, you know, had been kept in their house for all those years and everything.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I forget what their name was. There was
0: like 13 of them?
1: Yeah, something. something like that. So apparently some of the older ones have been uh, released from the hospital. They're living... Um, And being supported by many different people, their lawyer, and, you know, psychological professionals and everything. But they seem to be doing okay. And they seem to be kind of moving on a little bit. And, and again, that indomitable human spirit. Um, Apparently, even though their parents had an extensive DVD collection, they had never watched movies before. (gasps) I know. And now they're big Star Wars fans.
0: Ah, I love that. (laughs) And they're
1: learning how to make food. And some of them are saying they want to become doctors and nurses. Uh, Like we said initially when we talked about it, you know, I have no doubt that those kids are going to be okay. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and obviously, you know, it'll never go away what happened to them. And their parents hopefully will rot in jail forever. And they're not able to contact them at least for the next three years. The parents aren't allowed to contact the children, but you
0: that
1: know, should be. Yeah, I, I, you know, and all, all power and strength to those kids. You know, so anyway.
0: All right.
1: Okay. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks
0: for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Mm, rate and
1: subscribe. We're, Please? we're We're trying to build up our listenership. We're trying to get on some new platforms.
0: Tell your friends.
1: Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your frenemies. Good job by you!